Hi everyone, this is Paul. Firstly, I'd like to remind everyone that our good friends at How We Roll Podcast hosted our other good friends, God's Fall, for a crossover extravaganza. If you're listening in January 2016, that's happening right now. So stop this nonsense and go over and listen to them. And I'm going to put their promo on here because it's cool and it, it fills a couple of minutes. So there you go. Hey guys, Joe here. I'm the DM from How We Roll Podcast. We run a highly produced 5th edition actual play podcast in a custom world which has been destroyed by war and has been cut off from all other realities, even the gods themselves, for 10,000 years. Recently, the barriers surrounding our universe have begun to crumble, and over the next few weeks, we will be having a famous visitor from the world of God's Fall. Yeah! Uh, this is not the first time that I didn't land where I wanted to, so I pull out my dagger. He will meet strange new creatures. Oh, cool! A human fighter. I see a shadow run away from underneath it. And I look behind me and I'm like, guys, guys, there's someone here, there's someone here. A tiny bard. Takes two psychic damage. And starts crying. A violent monk. I run towards it. Screaming. And a mysterious warlock. Grigor is not scared of wolves, especially when he is back apart. <laughs> <laughs> Together, they will battle unbelievable odds. Um, if you pass, um, you take 12 points of damage. <laughs> I'm dead. They will travel to hell and back, while hopefully beginning to unravel the mysteries of our world. Are we the good guys? So come and join us, and Aram and Doro from Godsfall, for laughs and drinks, as we play 5th edition Dungeons & Dragons. You can find us on iTunes, SoundCloud, and at our website, howwerollpodcast.com. See you there. And while I'm at it, I've put another BattleBards trailer together. BattleBards create tabletop audio for players and GMs to use at the table they have tons of stuff on there. Songs, soundscapes, spell effects, sound effects. This time I've been having a look at their scripts. These are short vignettes that the DM can use instead of just saying, okay, you go to a shop and what do you want to buy? Look up, page whatever in the player's handbook. I think they're a really good idea. And so as a mark of my respect, I thought I would take a load of them, mash them up and turn them into something obscene. I call this one a quick bite. Battlebards, I'm so sorry. <laughs> I'm not sorry. You. Ah, yes, you there. Greetings, friend! Have a seat! Ah, a respectable customer. Sit down. Good day to you. Mm. Uh -huh. Uh -huh. Uh -huh. Ah, look. You are right to ogle. An acquired taste. Now, 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 step away from the merchandise. Mm. To die for. <laughs> Welcome to Swordnet Radio. This episode, we're going to be talking about LARP. This is actually recorded on the same night that Billy and I recorded the material for the last Useful Stick episode that we did. 
So if you listen to that episode and there's an intro and it says, we're going to talk about this, this and this and LARP, and then you're thinking, where's the LARP? Here it is. This is where it is. Oh, and listen at the end for the details of the competition, which for want of a better name, we're calling Sword Nut Swag. Talk to me about LARPing. Yeah, LARPing. Um, it's great fun. Because we've touched on it a lot of times, haven't we? Yeah, it's. I mean, it gets talked about when we talk about kind of like combat, and we talked about it on the last session in regards to guy you know who was you know incredibly good because he does an awful lot of it. Steve Perry. Yeah. Yeah, Steve Perry. Uh, the major differences between LARP combat versus HEMA is you are using essentially a carbon fiber rod with foam padding and a latex outer to stop it all from falling to bits. So as a result, yeah, you can pretty much clock someone around the head as hard as you can, and they're not gonna they're not gonna like you for it. But you're not <laughs> gonna do any permanent damage. Yeah. I think a lot of people are, are very familiar with the idea of LARP combat, and, and yeah. I, don't, I don't really want to turn this into a, a discussion about combat because I know LARP is much bigger than that. Because it's very easy to, to, to sort of look at the buffers and look at this all the magic missile thing and the, the tennis balls or whatever and, and mock that, but I, I don't want to go for that. That's 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 not something that I'm interested in doing. Um, so what actually is LARPing? What is it? Imagine that this, it's someone's first episode. They've never. Don't seen anything about RPGs. They're coming at it because they saw sword fighting in in the title. Explain what LARPing is. It's essentially it's a combination of all the mechanics and stat sheets and character creation that you get in traditional tabletop D and D or any kind of tabletop game, combined with the theatre of the mind and that wonderful feeling you had as a child when you would simply do make believe and get completely lost in it. Hmm. And when those three things combined, um, and you get the hang, cause, cause it's, it's like, it's like D&D. The first time you sit down and do D&D, you, your head's not really in the characters. You're thinking about the mechanics. You're thinking about everything. Yeah. And that's the same with LARPing. It takes you a while to get into it. Once you're, you, you just let yourself go and you relax into it, you, you're somewhere completely different. And the fact that someone is, you don't see someone as throwing a tennis ball at you. You see someone as throwing something at you that's going to hurt you and you want to avoid it. And your brain just takes over and, <laughs> you know, makes it real. Yeah. I mean, uh, think, thinking back to this, what just rung a, a, a bell there with me is that back when I was a kid, um, I was, I was back in primary school, grade school for American fans. I say fans are American listeners. They're, they're people who, who put up with this rather than be fans. Is that I used to go out and play in in these little these little woods near near the school uh, when I was waiting for my mum to come pick me up, and it seemed like this place was this massive wooded area. It was huge. It was big enough for anything we wanted to do essentially. And so we were mm. playing cowboys and Indians, or we were, you know playing sword fighting or whatever, and, and just you know little tiny imaginations. But I had the opportunity to go back there, or at least pass through that area um, a couple of years ago. And this patch of trees was maybe 10 metres across. I mean, it was, it was a very long strip that just sort of had a, a, a patch of unoccupied ground, which in Britain is rare. But it was about 10 metres across. But it seemed huge, and it's because you go into the make-believe, and it becomes an endless forest just because, because it is. Yeah. But I think LARPing seems to me very much about recapturing that feel of not even just the suspension of disbelief, but the kind of honest belief that what you're doing is in some way other. You know, mm-hmm. it, 
like you're saying, that, that tennis ball is the fireball. I, I, and it can be incredibly convincing. Um, I'll, I'll talk a little bit about the, the various different kind of systems that are out there. So and there is pretty much anything you can imagine is covered. Because I've seen pictures of, of you doing something, doing LARPing, and you're wearing a suit. Yes. So um, one of the systems I've done is Odyssey, which is all uh, Romans, Carthaginians, Egyptians, the Odyssey, literally that time period, the gods, okay. the different warring factions. Another one I've done was called Rockets and Ray Guns, and that was, I think that was in about the 1960s, and it's a different timeline in which essentially Dan Dare and Flash Gordon and all those various kind of like Rockets and Ray Guns kind of TV programs kind of came into reality. Two, two-fisted heroes and that sort of stuff. Yes, yeah. I, 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 had, I spent a day with another system where essentially everyone's running around dressed as wizards and sorcerers and stuff like that, and then all of a sudden someone came and dressed as the Terminator. And that, <laughs> that one confused me to no end. But there, there's there's a Stargate uh, LARPing system out there, which is incredibly popular. There's a lot of people do it. That's with... they use like airsoft guns and things. Yep, yep. There's 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 entire kind of like reenactment systems. There's a system which I believe is in Nutsford uh, called the Veil, and that's a mystery, uh, a mystical kind of setting, sorcery and wizardry and heroes mm. and stuff, and that is post-apocalyptic. Yeah. Uh, but in a fantasy setting where the entire world is ravaged apart from this one valley that the gods have kept in in good nick and there's two warring factions trying to uh, you know vie control of this so so pretty much whatever you are interested in chances are there there is a system out there for it so if you had to encompass all of those systems and say what what are the the common features what what are these of ineffable bones of larping the common features are that there will always be a character building system, and that is very much like the D&D system. Um, it will be split up into essentially fighters, politicians, scientists or wizards, you know, the, the usual kind of like core set of character types, depending on what kind of flavor of character you want to play. I mean, and, and the age groups in LARPing is, is very different. It, you, you're just as likely to see a... You know, a first time, never done it before, 14 year old there with his father, as you are to see someone who's been doing it for the last 30 years and are in their 50s. Yeah. You know, very, very wide age group. So the various different classes cater that to a certain extent because you're not always going to be wanting to fight. Mm. So, um, character creation system. Uh, there's always a fighting system, uh, which and your abilities and weapons available to you depend on how you've created your character or what your background is. There's always a, a rule set that you need. The rules the rules are usually quite massive, but with most of these things, you, there's usually a cheat sheet yeah. that you can get away with learning, and that's um, the various key calls that are required for safety and yeah. and stuff like that. that. That strikes me as being very much... Um... And this is a good rule to, to take to take with you for the rest of your life, as it were, is that there is no rule unless there is first a problem. Yes. So it's probably, you know, it starts as a very simple thing, and then, so you've got your cheat sheet, and that's what they started with, and then it's, okay, here's all the problems that came up, there's a rule for that, there's a rule for that, there's a rule for that. So the next time you see one of these odd little stories about, oh, it's it's become illegal to chase a pig naked through a market square on a Sunday in Tallahassee or something, think to yourself, 
there was a problem there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So lots of different systems, a general kind of character creation thing, and there's always different factions. Not all LARPing is combat. There is an awful lot of uh, LARPing systems out there which are entirely diplomatic, um, mm. just talking, essentially. I believe I've heard that um, the, the only LARP I've, I've heard about in any sort of detail is um, Vampire the Masquerade, mm. uh, where it's lots of people talking and having very intense conversations, but there's no combat. Really. I mean, you could do yeah. it, I suppose, but it's mostly about social interaction. Yes. The full range is out there. So, but in regards to a typical setup, so if we take, for example, Empire, Odyssey is the smaller two times a year system run by the same people who run Empire, which is, I believe, four times a year, and it's their big system. Yeah. So a typical setup for that would be it's over, it would be over a full weekend. So you could arrive pretty much any time on a Friday. And a lot of these places essentially have um, plots of land that they either own or rent. Mm-hmm. So in regards to Empire, they've got this ginormous field with a small wooded area and another smaller field. Just uh, as a little aside, went back when I was a carpenter, I was approached by a company. I can't remember who they were. Um, yeah to do a lot of furniture and a lot of bespoke stuff for a LARP that was happening in Sherwood Forest. Oh, so nice. How, how cool is that? Yeah, very, very. So you'll arrive on site, and there will always be an in-character and out-of-character zones. Out-of-character is essentially where you set up your tent and um, you know the toilet blocks are and the shower blocks and food tents and all that kind of stuff. And then you cross into the in-character... And the stuff that's in in-character areas are just incredible. Uh, people go to great lengths to create these worlds and populate them with tents and awnings and statues and, you know, massive campfires and all this kind of stuff. So when you first get there, it's, you know, you kind of, oh, it's a big field full of tents. But once you kind of get into it and you kind of accept that this area you're existing in is, is the world that you're you're existing it 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 becomes quite real mm. uh, it's it's amazing so yeah so um so you kind of get in you set up and then on friday evening usually around kind of like eight o'clock ish play will start and that usually consists of it's just timing mm. which means you know everyone should be set up and and it just cracks on so one of the things that, that there would, would kind of intimidate me yeah. would be the lead-in. So it's like, okay, I crossed this line, I've got to be in character, but I don't know what I'm doing. So how how kind of like strict is that? Or is there is there a way of buffering that for the people who are new to go, um, how does this work? Rather than go, why, why aren't you asking me a Latin? Kind of thing? You, know, you know, that sort yeah, of... Yeah, it, it can be, that, that can be very daunting. I'd, I'd always recommend to people that every single system these days pretty much has a Facebook page. Hmm. And every um, faction within said system will have their own individual um, Facebook page. So if you're looking at a system and you're thinking, oh, God, this looks good, and I really fancy playing an orc, there will be an entire group of people out there that you can you know, get in contact with and say, I want to do this, how is best to do it? And there will always be lots of people there who are... It's like the it's like the D and D community. There will always be people there who want to talk to you and want to get you involved and want to help you out. So, 
you know, get get chatting. And then when you arrive, even if you've not actually spoke to them in person, you will at least be people there that you can go, oh, hello, I'm Dave, and they'll they'll show you the ropes, essentially. And as, as tabletop role players, we've all done that at some point, is, you know, join a group. And unless it's your first game and you've only been playing with friends and things, at some point you're going to have to go online, find a group, meet some people, and play a game. Yeah. Yeah. So, so you've arrived, you've gone into the in-character area. Yeah. So, and then as, as kind of the, as the, the Saturday kicks in and maybe even on the Friday night, there'll essentially be quests, missions, little things that you have to do depending on what you are. So if you're a fighter, there will be, there's usually kind of like a, a, a sheet or something with like the timetable of the weekend. It's usually formatted in the way in which it looks appropriate for the system you're playing. But essentially it's a, this is happening at this time. So if you want to be involved with it, be here at this time. Okay. It's almost like um, timed instances, as it were. Yeah, pretty much. So for the Odyssey system, for example, all combat takes place either in the arena, which is at the centre of the field, and it is a real, honest-to-God arena with you know made of wooden you know wooden stakes all the way around the outside with a with two viewing platforms either end and a big stand for the crowd to watch it's it's really quite incredible and once you're in there you can't really see outside of it either so it feels really quite real Hmm. um so that's where like the various factions will war with one another in the eyes of the gods to uh you know try and lay claim to territory and stuff like that Hmm. However, all the sy- and that's the only place where combat takes place in that system, unless you're going on one of the quests. Right. Whereas other systems uh, will have pretty much open warfare wherever you like. So essentially, you will you may feel safe in your camp, but if you need to disappear off uh, in the night to go for a piss in the bushes, you might want to take <laughs> someone with you to guard your back because Could be an someone, elf in the bush waiting to camp. Yeah, someone may quite honestly try and pounce you and, and try and kill you basically so different systems have uh, different setups for it depending on how safe they want their their people to feel mm. so in terms of like how how a thing is run how is it adjudicated i mean this this all seems fine people running around but how is it adjudicated how is it gamified i mean are there dungeon masters around are there people running the game yes there are essentially there are always essentially referees knocking around and they will uh, make sure that everything is being done correctly but it's it, for the most part it's a combination of self-policing and the organizers and their referees yeah because i mean anyone, anyone can cheat to win but that's make it fun yeah so for example if your character has essentially like seven hit points and that's because you're a fighter so you start off with four and yeah. you're wearing leather armor so you get another two and then you've <laughs> got a shield so you get another one those are your hit points and generally what happens is every time you get struck with a, a blow or an effect that does damage to you, you lose one of those hit points, and it's up to you to keep track of that. Mm-hmm. So someone strikes you on the arm, that's one down. Somebody fires a firebolt at you and it gets past your shield, that's another one. And when you run out, you're down. Mm-hmm. So you will collapse to the floor somewhere safe. The mistake that everyone makes first time round, and myself included, is you run out of hit points, you just fall over where you stood. Yeah, you don't want to be underfoot. And then nearly get trampled. <laughs> so yeah, always kind of go, oh no, I have lost all my hit points, I must amble and limp off to the side where it is safe. 
Yeah. So yeah, so it's self-policed in that respect. Yeah, you find you find that in uh, medieval reenactments as well, and, and SCA yeah. and things like that. You you see um, that no one falls for the first ten minutes of the combat, and then at some point there'll be someone will give a signal in the crowd or whatever just to say, okay, now start dying. Yeah, so so it's kind of it, it's up to you to keep track of it, and obviously the referees are there to make sure that nobody's mm. using the weapons inappropriately. And obviously, if they see someone who looks like they've been hit twenty times, they're going to go over and have a word with them. So how do say um, I'm thinking about it in terms of a, a typical tabletop RPG? Um, so let's say the environment is such that. Um, there is something that's supposed to be in that environment that isn't there. So, you know, there's supposed to be a volcano or something like that, which obviously you can't reproduce. So would someone take charge and describe the scene to you? In regards to LARPing, it's called Fizz Rep, for short, which is a physical representation. Mm-hmm. And you'd actually be astonished. In the Rockets and Ray Guns that I did, which was all the Dandare laser guns type thing, the storyline that we ended up playing was that we were supposed to be at this conference for various people from around the world, free thinkers, adventurers, that kind of stuff to exchange ideas. And we were going to be watching uh, a spacecraft launch while we were there. Yeah. Something goes wrong with the launch. Uh, there's a massive power wave and we end up going through an interman- interdimensional portal where there are, the world is run by Nazis. Mm-hmm. Damn those Nazis. Yes, exactly. And as part of that adventure, we had to go find the, uh, the crashed spaceship. So in my head, I was thinking, okay, fair enough. You know, there's going to be some kind of field where oh, maybe they'll have scattered a bit of a smoke machine around and dropped some stuff. No, no, they they built an entire seven foot tall by like ten foot wide space capsule. Awesome. And so it was just there in front of you, painted white with NASA written on the side of it, with like smoke coming out of it. And it was like, wow, that that's really impressive. <laughs> so you will find that, in for the most part, they really go out their way to try and um, make it as genuine as possible. So are these uh, professional crews, then? Some systems are operated by essentially small teams of people that want to just run these things, and that's more personal things that people do. Yeah. Whereas, like, the Odyssey or the Empire or Lorien Trust or so many of these other large ones, it's essentially, it's a company. Mm-hmm. They, they're doing it for profit, but all the profit they make essentially goes back into the system. Right. Buying better equipment, buying better props. So, it, it's essentially run almost as, like, a non-profit. Yeah. So, so they try, you know, because they just want to keep this thing going. Okay, so so how do you say, uh, and again, sort of looking at it from the tabletop RPG, how do NPCs work? If everyone's going to turn up and be players, what's NPCs? Uh, both in terms of monsters and people you talk to. Right, now this is quite an interesting one, because this is actually a really good way of getting into it pretty much for free. Mm-hmm. In the, From the organiser's standpoint, there's two teams. There's the monster crew, and there's the story crew. Yeah. Story crew are the important NPCs that walk around and provide plot and um, will be given extensive briefs about who they are, why they are, and what they need to achieve as part of who they're interacting with. Is that to the extent of that they get scripts or they're just given their motivation and there you go? They're essentially given character backgrounds, so they're kind of told the kind of things that they need to get into the conversation, but it's very much up to them. And those kind of roles are reserved for the um, people who've been doing it for a long time. It's quite an important role, so it generally gets entrusted to the people that the organisers have known have been doing it for years and can do it on the fly. See, because I I would like to do that. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, and, and 
it's it's one of those things that you can totally work to. However, the the, the combat I think would be unfair. Yeah. I, th- I, th- I think if I was an orc or something, I'd say, why is this orc really shit hot? <laughs> <laughs> well, the opposite side of that is the monster crew. And the monster crew are essentially the NPCs that you want when you go out on the quests. Yeah. Uh, a great example uh, was one where I'm part of Carthaginia, the sacred hammer guard, and we went on a quest to... I can't remember the exact details, because to be honest, we just like to fight something to do with finding some kind of like special tapestry with powers. But anyway, as we're traping through the woods and come out into this open field, there is a small detachment of Roman legionnaires wandering around. There's about ten of them and the you know, they've got the shields and they're all dressed in red and they're just marching around this field in order. And you've been embarrassingly caught without your war elephants. Yeah, yeah. And then as as soon as we come out of the bushes they form up and they attack us. And that's essentially the monster crew. And the monster crew are all the people that you fight on the small little adventures. So you will do a session where you're playing a Roman and you're fighting the Carthaginians, ah, bastards. And then as soon as that's over and done with, you run back to the tent, you get dressed in blue and you come out and you're the Egyptians and you fight in the Romans. And then you run off and you do something else. Hmm. So essentially you are the cannon fodder NPC. But do you have to provide all of that kit? No. If you are doing monster crew... Because uh, if, if, if you're doing this as a normal player, there's obviously there's a fee for the weekend, which is never usually that extravagant. But if you don't know anyone who can lend you all your kit to start off with, it can be quite expensive sorting out costume, right. buying weapons, stuff like that. However, for NPCs, if you've got to buy you know, nope. four different outfits or whatever. Not only will they completely supply you with costume, weapons, everything you'd need for the character for that bit, they will also feed you and in most cases, house you. So essentially, all it will cost you to be on the monster crew is the petrol it takes you to get down there. Nice. Because they're they're essentially, they're thanking you for volunteering your efforts. So (laughs) if you ever want to go down and see what it's all about, and you want to spend basically bugger all the, the petrol to get there, monster crew, you will always be welcome, they'll always give you plenty to do, and you know, and there'll always be an opportunity to, you know, just go, I'm just going to borrow this costume and go wander around and see what what's happening mm. so i suppose it's, it's a good way of fact finding to find out what you need as a player as well and so yeah. i suppose the role playing element of it is is not so owner, not so onerous so you could just turn up and go oh i'm just gonna be an orc and grunt or i'm gonna be a, a a bad guy and not say anything and whatever and so you don't have that pressure so you yeah. can come into it gradually and you, you know you piece together your kit figure out what you want to be and all that well and having to commit up front but people do actually you can do quite a bit with npcs though for example, the the one where we were going finding the tapestry, we we got into the building and we needed to stall while we got this thing because a a particular uh, ritual needed to be performed so we could remove this thing. Mm-hmm. And I am outside this temple with a red cloak thrown over me to make myself look uh, as much like a Roman as possible, despite the fact I've got like goat skin on underneath it, so it wasn't very convincing. <laughs> and two Roman guards came over and started having a chat with me, and I just had to banter with them for as long as possible to stall to give the guys inside time to get out. And so as an NPC, you get plenty of opportunity to do these things. Not every time. Sometimes you are literally just there to create a bit of an obstacle and then fall over and die. Yeah, but sometimes they, you know, the players want to talk to the orc. Yeah, exactly. So you will get... Especially dropped. when an orc is carving them to fuck. Yeah, yeah. 
and again, it's and, and there's lots of stuff available to you. Like for example, in that system, you you can uh, axes, swords. They actually uh, use spears. They have full length spears with essentially a squishy end on them. Yeah. So it looks like the real thing, but then as soon as you stab with someone, it just crumples. Yeah. And there are very few other systems that basically allow that, which is quite, which is why I was saying spears are great. Yeah, st- stabbing is a very difficult thing to achieve safely. But also, there's there's archery. Uh, mm-hmm. because uh, they essentially have the the arrow has a special tip on it which looks a bit like a plastic golf ball yeah it's full of like foam and air so once it yeah, so it's 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 big enough that it it's incapable of like penetrating like the eye socket yeah so even if you get hit in the eye with it it's just going to hurt it's not going to do any permanent damage that's that's made it into mainstream now that's um with a slight oh, yeah. modification is an arrow tag isn't it Yes, that that uh, uh, has become quite popular as a oh. result of yeah the Hunger Games essentially yeah, Arrow it's, Dodgeball. Well, that is essentially where they have got uh, the equipment from that has all evolved out of the LARP scene, hmm. and there is nothing quite as intimidating as take uh, as doing your first round in the arena, and someone goes you know commence, and all of a sudden a, a volley of arrows come over like you know a volley, a volley of like 10 15 arrows just come flying over the line in front of you and you you have to get your shield up well if you would studied to... your fiore you'd have taken the posta di donna and uh, you'd mm. be okay there Indeed. and and one of the <laughs> things with arrows is it's, it, it's arrows are generally insta kill so right. you, you might be quite hard and have like nine hit points or something but if you got hit by an arrow that's it you're out which is bullshit well yes but you know we know this is bullshit. Yeah. <laughs> it, it, it's essentially because actually striking, they use special, um, the strings they use for the bows are purposely quite underpowered. So yeah, you can't, yeah, yeah. You can't really get in major force on this. So to be honest, if someone manages to hit you with a bow, it, it's kind of like, a, well, you know, they've, they've done good, basically, because it's not, it's not as easy as it, as it perhaps it should be. If you're doing a yeah, I mean, a, a 40 pound bow, even with a, um, you'd have to have like a, a, I suppose a softball size piece of foam on it to to take the the sting out of that, and even yeah. then, you might knock someone over. You know? Yeah, some people kind of like go in and out, so some people spend a lot of time in character and then go, right, sod this, I'm going off to my tent, I'm going to have a kip and get some food, um, and then they go to the out of character zone, whereas some people choose to be in character the entire time. Hmm. Some systems oh, will have. Yeah, some some people some systems have it where it's like you're in character between nine in the morning and like midnight, and then after yep. that it's out of character. Whereas other systems, it's just once it starts until it finishes on the last day, it's you can be in character the entire way through. You can sleep on the field. You can you know eat your fire, you know eat your food around the fire whilst passing around skins of wine to one another. It's you know it is hmm. it's almost impossible not to get caught up with it. Yeah, you know, so much time and effort go, gets put into creating it all. So, have you seen anyone who's sort of taken it a bit too far? Um, so, someone who's gone native, because it's the sort of thing you, you, you I, I think I might have heard of. It's it's almost certainly just fear mongering about people larping and and wanting to demonize people, which is what these things usually come out as. Um, of like people, um, actually resorting to prostitution for in-game money and all that sort of stuff, which strikes me as being complete tosh. But It, it, it is complete tosh. Uh, that is not to say that the certain systems don't have brothels. Uh, for example, one of the old systems that doesn't exist anymore essentially had a brothel. And you could go and using in-character coins, because you get given 
in uh, you know in-game coins at the beginning of the session. Mm-hmm. Um, you could go and and pay for services, and those pay- services actually translated to like neck and shoulder massages and stuff like that. So it was, <laughs> so it was, you know, it was all, it was all above board. Well, saying that, if you have been in the arena all day, you know, I can, I can see I can see how someone would say that or overhear that conversation. Yeah. Yeah. It, it can be very much, uh, you know, taken the wrong way. But yeah, if you've been in the arena all day and, you know, your shoulder's a bit sore and everything, you know, someone giving it a bit of a rub for you is, you know, you're going to hand over all your currency to them. Go, yes, please make my arm feel better. Yeah. One hour in playtime or I would have killed for that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, Steve Perry, who I knew, used to run a, casi- a, a, wor- a fully working casino. <laughs> where they had like uh, card tables and the kind of it was variations of modern games like roulette and blackjack and stuff like that yeah. essentially but yeah it was a fully working casino where people would go in and gamble in character money you would definitely want modern games not old games because old gambling games I, um as an archaeologist i've i've come up against like um finding various gaming pieces and all that sort of stuff yeah i have never yet found a straight game if you find a die, for example, um, even these like beautiful little bone, knuckle bones, basically made into six-sided die with yeah. uh, little inside things, you think how how could that be skew if they're always always bent as a nine bob note? Mm. Yeah, I mean you can just tell looking at them; they're not even like geometrically yeah, shaped like, or anything. Yeah, like that Greek D twenty uh, that that came up, it's like a really really old D twenty that's been doing the rounds of the internet. Just keeps it comes back every year or so. I'm looking at that and going, yeah, that, that's cool, but I would never, ever use that in a million years because I know full well it's always going to land on one thing. Mm. People cheated, yo. <laughs> yeah. People were bastards. <laughs> so what you need to participate in uh, for it is very much dependent on what system you're doing. So therefore, some systems require more. So the rockets and ray guns, for example, was very easy to get into because it was relatively modern clothing, so you just needed to kind of you know, go to second-hand shops and find some kind of, like, old, you know, granddad suits and stuff like that, the kind of thing that would be appropriate for, like, the 60s, and voila, you've got your costume. Hmm. Their weapons of choice in that was actually Nerf guns, and their only uh, their only rule about that was that you had to do something to it so it just didn't look like a Nerf gun, so, you know, just spray it up with a bit of black paint, which I, I, I kind of went a bit more into that and, you know, started putting details on and painting silver on so it all looked scratched. But, you know, ultimately it was just to, to make it not look like a kid's toy. Yeah, just enough so that it doesn't jerk you out of the, yeah. the moment. Yeah. yeah, so, I mean, so a £10 Nerf gun, kind of spray paint, old granddad clothes from a second-hand shop, you could probably clothe and arm yourself for, I don't know, 30 quid. 20 quid, you know, something like that. Not not a huge amount, to be honest. That's a very accessible way of doing it, whereas going into the um, the more high-end fantasy ones is a bit harder, because obviously you need... You, you're going to need the weapons, the, 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 the LARP swords and the armour and that kind of thing. But, so, in terms, of, in terms of that and in terms of the combat, I have one question that's never yes. really been answered about the, the combat and things, and that is the reason a lot of people do role-playing so that is... is storytelling whatever but there's um there's an element of being able to tell a story about doing a thing that you cannot do you know i can't cast a spell um and and see a fireball appear allegedly as far as you're concerned Uh, (laughs) yeah the, the you know um i'm a dab hand with a sword but i wouldn't know the right end of a bow from the wrong but i could still play an archer for example so is there that limitation to say you know if if i for example was larping i'm i'm a 
fair hand with a sword that I would immediately be a high level fighter because there's not a lot of people who could touch me with a sword. Um, certainly not if you can't thrust. I mean, if you can't thrust, then that, that, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm blow my, my my own trumpet too much and say I'm, I'm fantastic. I'm not the greatest fighter in the world, but I, I know an awful lot about swordplay and I've practiced an awful lot, and I could probably beat an awful lot of people out there. But I would be new to it. So how would say and and so therefore a low level character, I would assume. Um, so how could you adjust for things that you cannot do? Um. It is I mean, it is, it, it, does it come down to you know if you're a good fighter you're a good fighter and that's it you know you can't get away from that. I think so. It's 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 you can't really fudge it. So I mean yeah, if if you want to be an archer, you can be an archer. But if you what, can't... Let's, let's say let's say you're a mage, but you can't yes. throw for toffee, or um, or, or, may, may, or uh, let's take it to a, a slightly less ridiculous um, uh, point of view. Let's say uh, you have mobility issues. Yes. Say someone who is confined to a wheelchair. They could go to a tabletop RPG and play a fighter and a rogue or whatever. Yeah. Someone who do loads of nimble shit. What is there to simulate that, or is there not that thing? That is a very good question, and I haven't actually come across it in person. There is always going to be a role that you would be able to participate in, whether it would be exactly what you wanted to do. I think you would probably be restricted by your own limitations. I'd imagine if you're running around the woods, then obviously, you, you know, there's an accessibility issue there. Yeah, yeah. But I'd imagine, let's say in, say, Vampire the Masquerade, there are, uh, so, because a lot of it is social, it's social role-playing, to say, yeah. well, you are intimidated by this, you can't just role-play that, because someone could just go, well, I'm not. So there's a thing to say, I am good at intimidating people, I am an intimidating person. Whereas, you look at them and it's Brian from accounts, do you know what I mean? And yeah. you just go, what? Um, but you're supposed to look at them and say, this is a really intimidating... What is there to say, actually, I have stats, rather than what you say and do? It's a good question. Because, yeah, you can you can always fudge it in D&D by altering the stats of your character to boost the various different things, because it all boils down to dice rolling. I think it just boils down to you just kind of have to do it. But it's a little bit easier than doing it in real life. I suppose maybe it's the D and D aspect that is wrong. It's saying you know, if someone's trying to intimidate someone else or, or, or bargain for something and, and use a social skill for that, yeah, you could roll for it and just have a really weak argument. But the roll is really high, but you haven't necessarily role played that in. Whereas in VARP, it's all in the role play, and you just you just have to work through it. I think yeah, you do pretty much just have to do it because yeah, D and D is a theatre of the mind, and to a certain extent, so is LARP, but it is. You have to realise what your limitations are uh, physically, maybe even mentally. If you want to play like one of the really political heavy roles, but you can't remember people's names for shit, that is going to be an issue because you can't go into negotiations with the warring country that you that you're trying to avoid a war with and go, oh, it's um, is it um, Marcus? No, uh, uh, what's what's this guy called again? You know, it, so you kind of. I don't know. Well, would you would you be able to say sort of um, do a kind of oh I'm out of character now I'm going to look at my notes because I'm supposed to be playing someone who is really good. Would you be able to do that or would that just ruin it for everyone? There are various instances in which you can go out of character for certain stuff, but it's generally um, not encouraged just to do it on a whim. If if you kind of if you need to go out of character for something like shit, you've just remembered you, you desperately need to go make a phone call for someone. You couldn't just go oh hang on. The, the usual system is finger in the air. 
Mm-hmm. If you have your finger in the air, it usually represents, I'm out of character, I'm not here, ignore me. Okay. So you could go into that at any point for any reason, but generally you would kind of try and extract yourself from the situation without impacting on other people, and then you'd bugger off and do whatever you needed to do. Yeah. So yeah, I don't think you could really just go, um, line, or, you know, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. It's tricky. I, I've, I've, I've not done it nearly as much as I'd like, and, and the various roles in which I have played have been kind of quite combat orientated. The, probably the most uncombaty I was was actually in Rockets and Rayguns, where I actually played a psychologist, which actually turned out really badly because I was perfectly set up for this 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 world in which we were in, and then we got transported into this world that was ruled by the Nazis, and I was like. Oh, bugger, all, all my contacts at the universities that I would rely on and all, all the various other different aspects of the character just kind of went out the window. So one hand, it was like, oh, that's fucking shit. But on the other hand, it was you had to roll with that. You had mm-hmm. to figure out how you were going to then be useful in this new kind of environment that you weren't expecting, which has its own kind of joy about it. Yeah. You know, there's, there's nothing quite as interesting in any kind of roleplay system as someone throwing you a curveball. Hmm. So I think um, one, of, one of the analogs I've got here is, is um, there's a Geek and Sundry uh, YouTube series called LARPs. Yes. Um, which has a small cast, obviously. It's, you know, that's production costs money, actors cost money. They, they have about three or four players, and there's a dungeon master there, and so obviously it's a very small scale. Yes. But there's a lot of out of character stuff. You know, it's, it's always stopping to talk out of character, always kind of sort of a breaking character. But you're saying the reality of it is that you basically stay in character you and do. you accept the limitation that if you want to do something, you've got to do it. You can't just say, oh, I do this. You, you actually have to do it. So if you want to shinny up a tree and launch a surprise attack at someone, well, you get up that damn tree. Yeah, pretty much. And, and, and you do pretty much just get completely lost in the situation. I mean, some, some things really lend itself to it. Like, in the last, last one I did, there was a mechanic in it, which was, um, the Forge World. And it was very secretive and no one really knew anything about it. It was all about how various high up people in each nation would operate this Forge World. And they were all independent. And, and despite the fact they were often, separately warring countries that hated each other they'd all work together to try and achieve goals to keep the world spinning basically mm-hmm. and this situation came up where it all went to tits and um <laughs> yeah it all went completely tits up and um a city somewhere didn't really matter where but a city needed to be sacrificed because if it didn't the world might end <laughs> okay so so one of the nations was going to have to give up one of its cities and and as and as all the various different uh, nations were arguing about, well, we're not giving up our city. No, you should give up yours. No, 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 no. Time was getting on, and we were getting close to the deadline of when a decision needed to be made about this. And this was all actually happening at the same time as a massive thunderstorm. So it was in real life also completely pissing it down. <laughs> there was thundering and lightning going off like every, every couple of seconds in the sky and everything. And you're in this big tent. And, you know, I was acting as the bodyguard to the uh, the head of our nation, and you stood there, and you're just looking around going, this is perfect. I don't <laughs> even have to pretend that the world is coming to an end. Just look at what's happening. So, so e- even, so, so if you went camping, and it, it pissed it down, and it lightninged it down for like 12 hours of, 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 of your weekend, you'd be pissed off. If you do it when you're LARPing, it's just part of the experience. And it just adds its own 
own unique flavour to the weekend. Do you know what? I'll, I'll, I'll comment on that one as well. Uh, back in one of the early fight camps, uh, it was absolutely lashing down. So the fight camp is a, is a HEMA event. Uh, I attend every year. I run a tournament there. Uh, well, I've stopped doing it now because we, we, we're running tournaments in different ways and so it, space is needed. But it's essentially the largest HEMA tournament or sword-based tournament in the world, I think. Um, huge amounts of people, huge amounts of bouts and all that sort of stuff, but very loose. And um, it's just a big field and whatever. And, and so we're, we're all outside uh, and camping and doing stuff, but there's a big field where you can spar basically. And I was running that, and it was absolutely lashing it down. And, and there wasn't any lightning because you don't wave metal swords around when there's lightning. But it was like God was angry. You know, uh, I had a, a tent out there for a bit of shelter, and the top of the tent was being pushed down by the force of the rain. And there was about a dozen guys uh, in this porch of this tiny little tent that I had, just trying to get some, just, just. If they could get their head underneath the awning or something like that, they, they would do that. And it's just ridiculous. And two of the guys looked at each other, looked out and went, do you want to go have a fight? <laughs> I went on a long stuff fight. And, and you could barely see them through the rain. And it was fucking epic. I think it's, it's, you know, and it's, you can't, you can always predict what is going to happen when you sat around a table because you could be being told. Whereas when you're out and about in the real world, all right, fair enough, it's a fantasy world in which you're imagining, but it's it's the real world and there's real things happening. You know, it's muddy underfoot. You have to take that into account and, you know, you might die because you lose your footing. So, yeah, it's it, it's it's a great it's a great thing to do. I won't lie that it does have its limitations at times, but in general, it's it's definitely worth checking out, especially when you can essentially try it for free if you're prepared to put a bit of grafting in, you know, Monster Crew. Mm. I'm intrigued by the non-combat options as well. Yeah, that's uh, interesting. I, I think I'd find it hard to get out of the headspace of, of, of HEMA doing it so long. But in terms of the combat as well, I mean, I did say I don't think anyone out there could touch me, but I know there is one person who could. Um, one of the things I do say to people is if you want to do a lot of combat and practice fighting a lot with lots of different weapons on different terrain against different people, LARPing. Yeah. The reason for that is one man, and that is, I, I'll actually name him, I'm not going to Steve Perry him, uh, it's Mark Gilbert. And if you, if you recognize the name out there, give us a shout. But Mark Gilbert's a lovely, lovely man. But he's a fucking demon with a sword. And he's primarily, uh, his, his combat experience has been um, some Olympic type fencing, uh, but mostly LARP. And he'll study bits of uh, HEMA and he fights with you know, HEMA people, but it's primarily LARP. And this guy um, fought a hundred bouts in the Passage of Arms, the tournament I run, against the great and the good and the beginners and you know people who were on the first event and people who have been doing it for, for ten years and whatever, and no one beat him. There's a hundred fights, a hundred wins. In fact, his, his record, he went on into um, another tournament and got through to the finals. So it was uh, 104 wins and he was knocked off, uh, sorry, the semifinals in that, which is immense, absolutely immense. And he was telling me about a time when I suppose it was Monster Crew, when he was an orc. He, he didn't say where it was, but there were tunnels involved, sort of natural tunnels. And they were in character. The monster crew decided, right, we're going to be this orc crew. And it was, I don't think there was a need for them to be anything other than orcs. They were just different orcs. And they camped out and they had, you know, campfires and whatever in there. And they were the orcs and they sort of had drums and things. And 
made it absolutely terrifying for the players and just hunted these people down in these, in these caves and had a mm. fantastic time as Monster Crew. Yeah. Talking about the, um, the fizz reps and the fact that they go to a huge amount of effort to kind of tra- create these things, there are certain things that you just can't do. Karen, and she won't mind me using a name on this one because she will tell this, tell this story to anyone because she loves it. She once played a gelatinous cube. <laughs> and um, it was basically, I think there was about ten of them, and they were essentially like in a square, all kind of like with their arms linked together. And the way, and, and they were walking around with the fingers in the air because they were invisible because you can't see a gelatinous cube until it <laughs> attacks someone. And whenever they moved somewhere, they they all had to pretty much in unison go wibble wobble wibble wobble wibble wobble wibble wobble. <laughs> so it was just like this square of ten people just going around going wibble wobble wibble wobble wibble wobble. Wibble, wobble, wibble, wibble. And, you know, and then attacking people and it's though those are the kind of crazy things in which you can do um i think they did one as well where part of it was on a boat so it was on like a viking long boat and the mm. way in which they recreated that was it was just benches with stuff on the floor marking out the bit of the ship mm. and they recreated it all by everyone thought they were mad trying to recreate a sea voyage in a field but apparently they didn't... So throw a bucket of seawater on you. Yeah, no, uh, they were doing all stuff like, you know, people were just going by with, like, things in the hand and it, you know, as if, like, it was just floating back past the ship <laughs> and everything. And, and and I've heard people talking about having been on the Monster Crew and having organised it and how, how much fond memories they have it. And I've spoken to people who were in the boat as well, and they were just like, it's one of the best things I've ever done in LARP. It was fabulous. So, you know... <laughs> You just have to utterly be able to suspend your disbelief. And if you can do that, it just, it totally becomes the reality that you're in at that moment in time. So what, what kind of, what kind of numbers are there? I mean, it, it sounds, when you talk about battles and things that there's loads of people, uh, uh, and, and then maybe for like, say the, the thing with the end of the world there, um, it sounds like that couldn't be a lot of people. That would have to be a, a small amount of people doing that. The rockets and ray guns was about, I think it was about, I don't know, about 30 players and maybe about 20 support staff and crew doing it. So about 50 people in total. So that's quite a small one. Odyssey is a thousand, thousand five hundred people or something. Wow. We'll spread it across all the various different nations. And certainly in the arena battles, it can easily be like 20 versus 20 people, like mm. 20 to 30 people on each side. And, and how often do these things happen then? Because so getting a thousand people together is not going to be easy. Well, saying that, Empire is even bigger again. I think that's possibly in, in, in the multiple thousands, maybe. I think I, I actually have to, I'd have to double check this. I'm just kind of like completely throwing this off the top of the head. But but do they have like just one event a year, or is it a couple, or is it every weekend, or what? Odyssey is twice a year, kind of mm. Easter and then t- like towards the end of the year. Empire, which is their big system, is four times a year. Wow. I think uh, Lorien Trust, which is another one of the big ones, is maybe um, two small ones and then about three big ones. But all the all the individual factions frequently have their own private meets. Mm-hmm. So, like uh, in the Lorien Trust, it's split up. There's like there's, there's the dragons, there's the tarantulas, there's the stags, and those are the various different groups. And they just do their own thing. So all the people that are in one particular nation just kind of go right. We're going to meet up at this wherever, and we're going to do our own little private thing. And they just have their own little because you know there's always internal politics to be addressed and. Hmm. You know, infighting and, you know, someone's... Side quests. 
yeah, side quests and people like vying for leadership. You know, there might be a, a leadership conflict. So they do these things themselves independently of the main events. So there's, there's, there's quite frequently there's stuff happening all year round. And if you're prepared to go to multiple events, you, you could pretty much be going to one pretty much every week. So let, let's wrap it up then. I mean, we've talked a lot yes. about UK based stuff and, and things like that. And, and most of our listeners are in fact in, in, in the US. But I suppose this gives an idea of how often things happen and what sort of level of organization there are you know, that, that there is out there for them. Um, so if you were a, a newbie, independent of where you were in the world, I mean, where, where would be your first port call to find out how you could take part? Google. I would say would be my first call. There are plenty of websites out there. If you just um, search LARP, England as an example, if you search for LARPing in the UK, there will be you, there, there will be a number of websites that will come up with just simply lists of the different groups and links to their web pages. Mm-hmm. And you you can just click through those and go, ah, oh, that's Second World War stuff. Nah, not interested in that. Fantasy, not interested in that. Ooh, that one looks interesting. And then you just kind of delve into it a little bit. Is um, there is there a way to sort of see about red flags and things to see you know if something looks a bit dodgy or is that not a problem again it, it speaks to people as i said ev- ev- every group has their own facebook page these days so as soon as you come across something like i'm i'm forever like the veil one that i was talking about which was the post-apocalyptic fantasy one i only heard about that about a week ago despite the fact it's like you know 20 miles away from my house <laughs> so th- these things are all over the place and you just kind of as you get involved with the community yeah. You just start hearing it word of mouth. And there will be lots of, there, there are lots of forums out there that are just LARPing forums. And the various different groups will have different sections of the forums and then there'll just be like general discussion. So, you know, as with all these things, you just have to kind of do a bit of, do a bit of research and, you know, mm. Google LARPing, you know, see if there's anything in your local area. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm going to um, profile here, but. Yes. Prior to you, Everyone I'd ever known who did LARP was also a computer programmer. To you know, to a man. Really? Yeah. Okay. If you think about it, high income jobs, um, lots of disposable income, usually young guys, yeah, flexible working because they're all self employed. They can take whatever holidays they want. But yeah, it was, it was, it's, it's a strange thing. Is uh, I must have met at least a dozen people who did it. Um, you know, people come into my classes as well to, to learn a bit more swordplay, and they were all in computer programming. I've got to admit, I went to a 40th birthday with someone recently, and pretty much everyone there knew each other because they were all long-time LARPers, and they, that's how everyone knew each other. That was the connection. Hmm. And there was an awful lot of brain power in the room. You could just tell, because I mean, I just, you know, randomly walking around, starting up conversations with people, and you could just tell there was an awful lot of smarts in that room. Hmm. The, I think because LARP, LARP is kind of like, it, it naturally just kind of weeds out. If you are there, it, it's a bit like Hema, like you, uh, you've said about worrying about the nut job coming up who just wants to like swing swords at people. They'll come, maybe for one or two sessions, realise that actually this is a proper skill that you have to put time, effort and hmm. you know stuff That's into cool. it. And it just naturally weeds out that type of person. And it doesn't matter how hard you are. Yeah, it doesn't really matter how hard you are if if you're not prepared to put the you know the effort in to take it seriously. It's just you're not going to get anything out of it. So it just naturally weeds out the people that it's just either not right for or are going to be troublemakers. Mm-hmm. And you know, and, and you know, a lot of these things are you know very much policed. So if someone goes to an event and is an absolute troublemaker and they get themselves blacklisted from that event, then chances are they're going to get themselves blacklisted from all the other events because they all talk to one another. 
Yeah. So again, chances if you're running a business, you get a, you go on and know, aren't you? Not yeah, precisely. Yeah. So you know, it, it's self-policing essentially. So you don't really get much problems with you know. And any idiots. any problem that can occur is a worse problem if it happens in a field. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I can see that. But no, for 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 most fantasy events, you as long as you get in contact with someone beforehand and you know talk to people and there's always going to be someone who has a spare sword that they're prepared to lend you there's always going to be someone who has a spare like cape so as long as you can just get some like basic sturdy footwear kind of like leather boots something like that you know hiking boots are generally quite accepted but there's no one going around being like the authenticity nazi to say oh no that's not right and this isn't right and just there are some uh, there are some people who who go to incredible extremes with the amount of effort and time they put into their costumes I mean some of it is just beyond exquisite mm. that's, that's a good question is someone else going to enforce that upon you you know is there a minimum kit standard that you know aside from safety say you're the Carthaginians you've got to have this this is your uniform there are yeah there are generally kind of like so uh, Carthaginia's got a lot of kind of like leather and furs and stuff like that which is actually a very accessible because it's not it's not that expensive to make a, a cheap jack it out of like fake fur or something you might sweat your tits off but you know it it will be cheap so that's really quite approachable and if you want to be in like the roman camp all right fair enough there's an awful lot of them where the proper lorical is it lorical or lorica uh lorica segmentatum yes yeah they they an awful lot of them wear that but you know romans had chainmail damn it yeah so but yeah you know if you want to be an egyptian there's an awful lot of like white robes going on so you know buy some bed sheets it's, <laughs> you you have to be able to kind of use your imagination a little bit and just figure out how but no one no one's going to go around and say that's a bed sheet get off my get off my lot no i it, as with all these things it's the excess if you accessorize you'll be fine yeah enough so you don't ruin it for people yeah i mean yeah. obviously kind of like so uh, a bed sheet is fine but maybe thomas the tank engine bed sheets not no, yeah, you know, walking yeah. around in white trainers will be frowned upon. <laughs> but but realistically, you know, not everyone's going to have access to original, authentic footwear. So, you know, just try and keep it as nondescript. Yeah, like brown hiking boots are... Brown yeah. leather hiking boots are generally acceptable. Top tip, riding boots. Yeah, okay. I, I own... Um, I have owned quite a few pairs of riding boots. Uh, firstly, because I, I used to ride, but secondly, in armour. And if you're fighting as well, a very small amount of heel is really good just mm. because it, it it cushions your your Achilles tendon a little bit because you're going to be on all sorts of ground so riding boots have a very small heel on them so they don't slip through the um the stirrup easily uh they still bloody do but there's at least something to catch there yeah they're a godsend they really are if you're fighting on odd terrain and yeah. they look the part as well because yeah. they usually they don't have a, a lace on the front and stuff like that it's just leather and get on it's very easy to disguise clothing as well. So, for example, there's a lot of places on eBay that sell offcuts from like leather furniture and stuff like that, and you can usually get them in squares quite quite cheaply. Uh, yeah. And if you want to disguise footwear, you get one of these and essentially, you know, turn it into is it spats? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, you essentially make a leather pair of spats to go over the top of your boot and laces and yeah. stuff, and it just disguises, disguises it. And it's a really cheap and cheerful way of, you know, making it look a bit more authentic. So. I don't know if they're, if, if, they're, if they're small, they're called spats, and if they're large, they're called gaiters. Ga- well, gaiters are more for... Um, the lower leg and... Yeah, yeah. Your, sh- your shin and calf and stuff like that. But yeah, that, that kind of thing is, is you know pretty easy to make on the fly. 
Well, I would say as well is, is that um, back in the day, uh, as a carpenter, I, I would need leather for various things, you know, lining, you know, insides of boxes and, and sword stands and all sorts. And you could buy entire hides of leather, as long as you didn't want top-rate calfskin, whatever, and you didn't really mind about the overall quality. You, you know, it, it's pretty accessible to, to get. So maybe £50 would get you an entire cow hide, which is huge. Yeah. Um, of decent leather where no one other than a fashionista or someone in the leather trade could tell that it wasn't top quality. Yeah. I managed to pick up off eBay uh reindeer hide, full reindeer hide with with its winter coat on. So this thing is is bushy as anything in it. Apart from the fact it molts for fun, which I think is possibly why I got it so cheap. Which if you're outdoors is fine. If you're indoors you're not gonna make any friends. Especially that whoever has to vacuum. But yeah, I think I picked that up for about 20 quid. And it, that's the kind of thing that adds realism to it. So, for example, I actually ended up buying it for a Halloween costume in which I was going as a caveman. And so, and like the, the top I was wearing and like the, the kind of like the leather skirt and all, all the various bits and bobs I was wearing of it were all fake, faux suede, fake um, stuff. And it looked a bit naff. But then as soon as I put on this real reindeer hide uh, rug, essentially, over, over my shoulders and just tied it together at the front with a bit of leather cord, it just instantly transformed it from, that's a bit cheap and nasty, to fucking hell, that's good. <laughs> and, and, it, and it, yeah, it's, it's, so you can, you can do things on the cheap really quite easily, and you just need to add one or two things, and it just really finishes it off, and, it, and, and you know, people don't notice it. Yeah. But yeah, that's really good. To, I, I legitimately do want to try this. Monster Crew thing, I think it'd be awesome. But I'll have to build up to it. It's going to be scheduling. I'll fish out the dates and I will post them. And if you know someone who's looking for NPCs who can do a script, I do a very good truculent barman. (laughs) (laughs) So that's a brief intro to LARP. I'll just add, be sensible. If you're going to go to a field in the middle of nowhere with a load of new people, do your homework, make sure people know where you are, and don't be afraid to call bullshit or walk away if you see something you don't like. The song was Grind by John Paul Jones. If you didn't know, he's the bassist from Led Zeppelin. Go listen to his solo stuff. It's amazing. When Robert Plant and Jimmy Page did a tour without him, they had to replace him with two bassists, a guitarist, a pianist, an organist, and an orchestra. So there you go. If you've got any comments, questions, general feedback, get in touch with us at swordnutradio at gmail.com that's swordnutradio at gmail.com or on twitter at swordnutradio we're still bringing our competition where you do something creative and make us feel things and win swordnut swag we've now set up a spreadshirt shop in the UK in the USA and we have a Society6 page in the USA uh, why do we have two shops in the USA? well Society6 sometimes lets us do free worldwide shipping and we'll post up where that is also, the mugs are really nice. They let you have a really big mug, and normally they're small and useless, but these ones are big, and I've got one, and it's awesome. So, yeah, send us your stuff. Make us feel things. doesn't have to be anything to do with Sonnet Radio, uh, although that would be nice, but it could be anything at all that's creative. It could be a short story, it could be fan fiction, it could be artwork, it could be a joke, it could be a meme, it could be knitting. Wow, us with crochet. Send your submissions to swordnutradio at gmail.com. That's swordnutradio at gmail.com. Or if you want to submit it on Twitter, then find me at swordnutradio and put the hashtag swordnutswag on there. Thanks for listening. Bye.